Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 430 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is with a young woman who has type 1 diabetes and a diabetes alert service dog. Esther knows a ton about this topic, and she's a lot of fun. Plus, she's got a great story. All you have to do is sit back, relax, or continue to march through the grocery store, do your dishes, or ignore your family, whatever you're doing with your headphones on right now, and listen as we present to you another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If after this you want to find Esther on Instagram, she is chronically underscored annoyed. Chronically annoyed underscore in between the words. You understand the underscore? Well, if you don't, you're not going to find her. Or I guess you could just search for chronically annoyed and then look for dogs. And then I think you find her on Instagram. Mm, listen to my understanding of Instagram searches. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the insulin pump that my daughter has been wearing for over 12 years, Omnipod. You can get a free, no-obligation demo of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump by going to my link at myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. And to learn more about Arden's continuous glucose monitor, her Dexcom G6, head over to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. The Dexcom is perfect for anyone using insulin. And of course, if you're looking to get involved or to learn more about a great organization, check out Touched by Type 1 at touchedbytype1.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Hi, I'm Esther. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I'm an artist. I'm a teacher. And I'm a service dog handler. Ah, service dog handler. That's interesting. You, you're, you, I may, I'm, I'm going to probably use the wrong words here, but I'm not sure. You own a service dog, right? It helps you with your, the dog helps you with your type 1. Yes, I have a diabetic alert service dog. But the but the terminology would be service dog handler. Is that to infer what is that? What do, do, am I making sense here? Like, is that so you doesn't? Yeah. yeah. Tell me about it. A so little being bit. being a handler infers that I own and rely on my dog. I don't train them for other people. Gotcha. That's what I wasn't sure about. Um, so there are people who are trainers, but not necessarily right. users, for the lack of a better term, I guess. Well. A handler. Right. All right. I got it. I'm finding these things out. Okay. So um, let's talk. Let's start at the beginning. When were you diagnosed and how old are you now? February 10th, 2000. And I am almost 23 at this point. You were three when you were diagnosed? I was barely two and a half. Barely two and a half. Wow. That, That must feel like not even somebody's, that must not even feel like your story, right? Yes and no. Um, I don't have the usual diagnosis story. We had just moved. I am from a military family. Mm-hmm. And we had just moved to Arkansas. My dad had gone overseas to Turkey for a year-long single deployment. Okay. So we weren't even in a house yet. We were with my grandparents. And my grandmother is type 2 diabetic. 
And my mom was really obsessed with this very popular TV show. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called MASH. She was a fan? Yes. I was as well, by the way. Um, And she saw the episode with the diabetic helicopter pilot. mm -hmm. So when I started drinking like an inhuman amount of liquids and wetting the bed and showing these signs, she decided to use my grandmother's glucometer to check my blood sugar. Because of what she saw on MASH? Yes. Wow. There you go. So we, we were in a very small town. She took me to the doctor an hour away. Uh, and next thing you knew, we were at Arkansas Children's Hospital. And the doctors were like, how, how is she not in a coma or dead or in DKA? And the answer was MASH. <laughs> <laughs> so I got diagnosed and we didn't even stay in the hospital very long. Uh, the only downside was that my father wasn't allowed to come back for the diagnosis. So my mom had to take care of my older siblings and learn the whole diabetes shebang by herself. Yeah. In 2000, right? Right in around 2000. Yes. yes. Wow. MASH, by the way, was on in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember that exact episode. I, uh, I'm going to say something that might embarrass me, but I received the entire run of MASH as a gift. Um, Oh, di- that's so cool. Digitally. And in the past year or so, I've watched the entire, and there's a lot of episodes of MASH. <laughs> and I, it is. I started watching it on Hulu, and I haven't even gotten through a third of it. Yeah, I don't, Um, I, I want to be clear that I don't sit down and watch. I watch while I'm doing something doing else. Stuff. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Dishes, laundry, um, you know, making food, things like that. I, I really don't want people to think that I sat for how many episodes? I mean, God, it must have been <laughs> on forever. And I'm thinking now that um, the helicopter pilot's name was Smiling Jack. And uh, I remember, I can remember the whole thing. Like he was, he was like one of the best helicopter pilots and he didn't want to stop flying. And he only needed to bring home a couple more people to like, I don't know, like reach some sort of an award or something. And they figured out he had diabetes. I, I, I've got the whole thing in my head. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> oh That's my God. Funny. I believe there were, um, I'm going to look now because I don't I don't want to be wrong about this. There were 11 seasons of MASH and that was back when when you made an epi- when you made a television show, there were a lot of episodes every season, like usually 25 or 26 or something like that. So there's mm-hmm. like a ton of them. Okay, so MASH figured out that you had type 1 diabetes, but then we had to move forward. There were no other episodes of MASH to help your mom, I don't think. Um <laughs> <laughs> What TV show did she go to next to figure out type 1 diabetes? <laughs> That's interesting because, you know, you were already r- writing your blog at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my mother's not very tech savvy. So she didn't, you know, jump on the whole internet train. Yeah. And we moved a lot. I am uh, the fifth of eight children, military family. We moved a lot. Um. I didn't grow up going to JDRF events or diabetes camp. It was just kind of me and mom roughing it, uh, changing endos every couple of years with every move. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. She read a lot of books. We have so many copies of the Pink Panther book. <laughs> uh, so she read a lot of books and she learned as she went and we made it work. That's amazing. I mean, I guess that's all you can do, really. 
Um, yeah. Two thousand. I mean, the technology wasn't terrible, right? What What were you using for insulin? Do you Do you know? Have you ever asked? Uh, I have asked. I don't know what insulin I was on originally, but a few years later, I was on. I was put on Novolog, and I've been using Novolog ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, they started us out with pens. However, I was a two and a half year old child, and the pens were scary. Yeah. So we moved to using regular syringes with vials until I was in elementary school. Uh, I want to say two thousand five or six. I was put on the Animus two thousand. 2005 or 2006. That's a pump that people really loved. Were you, did you yes. have it right up until it was uh, discontinued? I, no. No. So I had the Animus 2000 and it was top of the line. It was water resistant. It was the first one where you could detach and put a placeholder in the site and go swimming without your pump. Um, it was really, really nifty until I broke it. I actually broke two Animus 2000s. Um, my younger sister chewed the rubber buttons off of one and the other malfunctioned going down a slide at a Burger King play place because of the static electricity. How old was your sister? Please tell me she was like 15. <laughs> oh, no, she was a, she was a toddler. At that oh, time. okay. It would have been more fun if she was like 23 and she gnawed, gnawed <laughs> the rubber buttons off of your insulin pump. So no. that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but the Burger King slide incident happened in Germany, so that was uh, nerve-wracking. But Animus pulled through, and they got us a new pump very, very quickly. And the new pump after that incident was the one-touch ping. Mm, that's the one I'm thinking of. Okay. That was the first Animus pump that came with its own glucometer, and it had... I don't know if it was Bluetooth, but it wirelessly sent your blood sugar from the glucometer to your pump. Mm -hmm. So I had the one-touch ping up until 2009 when I decided I was done with the pump, done with the wires, and I went back on pens for many years until I got on Omnipod in 2016. Excellent. You know, I just did something while you were telling me about that that uh, ended up being really really a huge letdown i tried to um translate burger king into german and it's burger king (laughs) yeah i could have told you that what a letdown (laughs) that was (laughs) damn it oh my gosh it was on a military base so it just said burger king because you guys were all i know i figured there'd be like a german translation for burger at least but it's not apparently there's not no because it's a franchise such a letdown. I'm not joking with you. Yeah. I was really, there was a moment there. I was just <laughs> like, oh, wow, this went wrong on me. Um, okay. Hey, why well, you have a lot of brothers and sisters. Did your dad just get your mom pregnant every time he came home from the military? Or how did that work exactly? Yeah, pretty much. That's how it works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what's funny is that when my parents got married in the 80s, my mom didn't want kids. And my dad said, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And apparently they crossed it multiple times. I was going to say he crossed it about every 10 and a half months, probably. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my oldest sibling is 30 now and my youngest is 14. Do you think your parents call having sex crossing that bridge? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Honey, it's time to cross the bridge again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, any other uh, diabetes in with your family, with those those brothers and sisters? Not type 1, but we have the genes. Both of my parents have hypothyroidism. Myself and three or four of my siblings all have hypothyroidism. Hmm. My 
16-year-old sister was just recently diagnosed with amplified pain syndrome, which is another chronic illness. We have food allergies galore, celiac uh, tendencies, so it's like a sensitivity, not true celiac disease, Um, lactose intolerance, lots of fun stuff. Yeah, you guys are a party. (laughs) That dog is probably like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to get sick. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You ever see him scratch at the door? He's like, I got to (laughs) go. How did you end up with a service dog? What was your, your pathway to that? So this was really fun. Um, I didn't really know a lot about service dogs. I knew guide dogs existed. But when I was a senior in high school, somebody put it on my Facebook page. They sent me a little uh, documentary about diabetic alert dogs. And I was like, what? This is a thing? Mm. And, of course, my animal-loving teenage self jumped on that train and dove headfirst into research. And I went to my parents about it. I was like guys, did you know that this existed? This is amazing. And they were like, yeah, we looked into it when you were a kid. It was just way too expensive. And I was like, oh, well. (laughs) Great, thanks. We just thought maybe one day a dog would come out. We kept having babies. We we would train the dog. We tried to train your sister once to do it for you, but she ended up just chewing the buttons off your insulin. Yeah. Uh, That's good. I'm having a lot of fun at your parents' expense. Don't let them listen to this. So- oh, I have a lot of fun at their expense, too. <laughs> oh, well, lucky them, in fact, then. I'm the middle child. I can get away you with just, it. Yeah, there's too many people on either side of you. You can kind of blend in if you need to. Exactly. Well, so a lot of, um, you know, a lot of issues that are all centered around autoimmune. Uh, and so, and you guys move around a ton, so it must be difficult for all of those people to find doctors to help them. Does that is that a problem for everybody or or how, no. how does it work? Okay, so when you move to a new military base or a new station, uh, it takes a couple months, but you generally get set up with the on-base clinic with your primary care provider. The problem is getting the referral for the specialist, you know, the endocrinologist. Okay. And then the problem is um which endocrinologist take your insurance and is that endocrinologist good for you or are you stuck with them and they're not really listening to you? So are you saying that your, your general practitioner is on base, but then you have to leave the base to get more specialized care? Yes. I got it. Okay. Ah, oh, so how many times, how many different endos do you think you've had? More than a dozen. I have moved about 13 times in my life. Okay. Here's an interesting question. Of more than a dozen, how many good endos do you feel like you've had? Four. No, three. (laughs) Who just got knocked off the list at the end there? Who almost made it? (laughs) I'm trying to imagine that one. Like, there was four. Oh, no, you know what? I don't want to count him. Uh. (laughs) Well, see, I don't always have an endocrinologist. I generally will have an endocrinologist team. Mm -hmm. The question is, do I see the endocrinologist or do I see the nurse practitioner? Yeah. Because some places I see the endocrinologist once and then never hear from them again. And I always see the nurse practitioner. And then some stations we've had to fight for the referral because the primary care thinks that they can take care of the type one on their own when they have no idea when what they're talking about. Well, that's interesting. Sometimes they've tried to keep you on the base for the entirety of the care. Like yes. I, we can handle this. Have you ever tried that? No, no. I wonder as you get older and older, if you'll decide, well, I guess, you know, let's ask this question. How do you feel about your level of 
care? Like, are you happy with where you're at? Or are there improvements you're trying to make? Are there difficulties? Where are you, where are you right now? Right now with my care, my, I had a very good nurse practitioner. Um, she retired. So I'm about to start breaking in a new nurse practitioner in September. Um, and I, my, as far as diabetes go, it's pretty average. I'm getting average care. Uh, the problem is that nobody is taking care of my thyroid and that's, what's really beating me up right now. You know, I haven't dug completely into this yet on the podcast, but I will at some point when I have, um, complete details, but I've watched my wife struggle with hypothyroidism and then Arden and we're in the middle right now, um, of, we have just found a doctor who's a more, I don't know how to say it, a, a less actually uh, in the box thinker and is making adjustments and working on other things. And I have to tell you, like really making leaps and bounds improvements for both my wife and my daughter, just by having somebody who doesn't look at the testing and say, oh, it's in range or okay. And treating the symptoms instead of the number in the test, if that makes right. sense. You know, is, is I, that... my current problem is that my TSH, my number for my thyroid is out of range. And my previous nurse practitioner didn't really want to take any drastic steps to fix it. What would a drastic step have been like more medicine? No, I've gone through two dose increases, but, um, drastic step, uh, something other than that. Something other than just increase the Synthroid. Maybe we can look at other medications. Maybe we can look at a thyroid booster to take on top of the medication. Look at it from a different angle. Yes, they don't want to talk about um, vitamins or other other things right. that might be helpful. Do you have any um, joint pain or muscle pain or anything like that? Yes, but it's ir it's uh, not related to the thyroid. It's related to snapping my collarbone in half in 2013. Oh, it's a specific the pain. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was that trying to stop the dog from escaping? Is that what you had to do? You <laughs> no, that was flipping backwards off of a golf cart at like 20 miles per hour. I don't think you should have done that, just in case you're looking for my It wasn't input. my fault. It was the driver's fault. <laughs> the driver took off too fast? Wow, I that's... did not yeet myself off the back of a golf cart. <laughs> Are you certain? <laughs> no, wow, that's terrible. How how bad? How badly did... Let, let's talk about that just for a second. How badly did that hurt? Do you use insulin? Then you need the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. That is my opinion. Because when you use insulin, fluctuations happen. And you're blind to them if you can't see what's going on inside of your body. But the Dexcom gives you that look. You get to see the speed and direction of your blood sugar. And it makes a huge difference when making decisions about insulin and food. You also have to consider your safety at times. And the Dexcom G6 has built-in alarms to help you with that. You can set the low alarm wherever you want, the high alarm wherever you want, and the Dexcom will tell you when you reach that threshold. That knowledge gives you the ability to stop a low before it becomes a problem or to stop a rise before it becomes a high blood sugar that ruins hours of your day. Head over to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to learn more about the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. My daughter has been wearing it for years 
and it is at the core of how we keep her A1C between 5, 2, and 6 for now over 6 years. I'm confident that the information that the Dexcom gives back to you could help you do the same. Are you using a tubed pump or injecting your insulin and wish you weren't? You don't have to. You could use the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. It is self-contained. So for pumpers out there who are accustomed to getting their tubing stuck on door handles or ripping out their sets or taking off their pumps to take a shower or go swimming and then forgetting to put them back on and their blood sugar shooting up, none of that happens with Omnipod. You can check it out easily at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And after you're there and you think, hmm, this might be a good idea, you can ask Omnipod to send you a free, no obligation demo of the pump, and they will. It's that easy. You just ask and then they do it. It comes to your home and then you can wear it or put it on your child. Whoever needs to understand what it's like to wear an Omnipod can before they buy. If you decide later that Omnipod is for you, that's terrific. It's easy to move forward. And if you don't like it, it's not a big deal. It didn't cost you anything and there was no obligation. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Tubeless insulin pumping is next level. My daughter has been using an Omnipod for over 12 years. She's worn one every day since she was four years old. It is an absolute friend in the journey with type 1 diabetes, and it could help you in your use of insulin as well. Last thing, Touched by Type 1 is an organization dedicated to helping people with type 1 diabetes, and they would just like you to know about them, to check them out. Touchedbytype1.org. You can also find them on Instagram and Facebook. As a matter of fact, all of the advertisers are listed right there in the show notes of your podcast player, or there are links that you could find easily at juiceboxpodcast.com. There's a lot more left to Esther's story, so let's get back to it. First, we'll find out what it was like to be tossed off that golf cart. It hurt so bad that I have memory loss. You just tried to let the whole thing go. My body went into shock, and I still don't remember. I remember going down, and I don't remember anything from hitting the ground to basically coming to on the way to the emergency room. No kidding. Were you actually playing golf, or were you riding in a cart? No, it was at a summer camp. Ah, just going from place to place. Yes. I was going to say, how were you shooting up until then? I was looking for your score and what hole you were on. (laughs) Just for the golf fans, you know, so they could understand. Wow, yeah. I'm sorry about that. That's so terrible. I w- I bring it up because uh, Arden has those symptoms or had those symptoms, and we've increased um, her intake of some specific vitamins that have done away with them in conjunction with getting her. Uh, Arden doesn't use Synthroid; she uses Tyrosin, um, and we we've been increasing that slowly, getting to a better level. So. We finally had a uh, a doctor who was willing to look and say that, you know, by weight, Arden's tyrosine dose doesn't seem strong enough. Her number seems in range, but her symptoms say she doesn't have enough of the hormone. And so this doctor was willing to move it up a little bit and add uh, a significant course of vitamin B12 uh, and a very specific one, like she she moved us to a, a very sp- a specific vitamin and um, also vitamin D, increasing Arden's vitamin D intake significantly. Um, 
So just little things like that. And we've been at it for a couple of months now. She just did a retest there. The uh, Tearson's going to get adjusted again, and then we're going to move on and see if, you know, how that helps. But are you experiencing mostly the tiredness, that feeling you can't get rested? That is that your biggest problem? My biggest problem is depression. Ah, with the thyroid, and and that's another thing people don't realize. Like if you move that up too much, that thyroid, the way you can go from hypo to hyper, how you can tell is you'll start getting like heart palpitations. You'll get you can get sad, anxiety, start crying for no reason. Like there's a lot of stuff that happens with having too much of that of that hormone, which I think is can be why some doctors are, you know. Hesitant. Uh, hesitant to do it, but it's so necessary. Or you could go to a T3 uh, and a T4 together. Uh, I can't think of the T3 name off the top of my head now. Um, damn, I'll think of it. And and so depression, do you feel like it's really connected to the, to the hypothyroidism? We can, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism and a vitamin D deficiency when I was 13. Mm -hmm. So I've been, uh, we've been dealing with it long enough that we can clearly link depressive episodes to a lack, to when my thyroid numbers are not where they should be. Okay. No, I believe that a hundred percent. You can't, nobody would be able to talk me out of believing that. Um, And so what happens is your needs change. But it's difficult to change with the need. You don't notice the need changing until you have the symptom. Is that what is that the biggest problem? It's difficult to describe the symptoms in a way to motivate the doctors to do something about it. Ah, ah, um, okay. So what what ends up happening? Do you just do you think they don't believe you that it's related to that, and they look back and they is your T. Or your, your TSH, did you say, was out of range or in range? Oh, it's out of range. Low or high? Low, I would imagine. High. High. Okay, so you appear to have too much. You 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 appear hypo? I am hypothyroidism. The right. TSH is supposed to be between 1 and 4. Mine is 12. And so what's the plan? Like, what what's supposed to bring it into range? The Synthroid, supposedly, but it's not doing its job. It doesn't do that. Have you tried others? No, but I'm hopeful that my new nurse practitioner in that I see for the first time in September will finally, you know, listen to me and um, maybe we can switch something up, try something new. Is the T4 not being picked up by your system? Has anybody discussed that with you? Maybe um, I, I figured out the name of the T3. It's called cytomel. Um, maybe that's it. The tough part of it is, is when you make adjustments to these medications, it really messes with you. If it's yes, anything. it does. Yeah, and I I already struggle with insulin resistance, hypoglycemia, unawareness, hyperglycemia, unawareness. Mm-hmm. Hence the dog. Um, so my my I I'm over here like I tweak things all the time without talking to the doctor. I've been doing this for twenty years. I tweak things. But then when I need a change in prescription or a change in dose or a change in medication, then the battle comes of convincing the nurse practitioner to make those changes. And it's not as easy as saying, look, I'm doing it. It's working. I just need the medicine. Right. It's kind of like, I I will tell you something. My previous nurse practitioner, we had one big disagreement point, and that was your podcast. Oh, that's a shame. (laughs) She doesn't I, like it, and I, I love I've it. lost a listener. 
This is terrible. I the first day I the first time I asked her, "Hey, have you heard of the Juice Box podcast?" She looked at me and she said, "Yes." Ah, she didn't like it. That's good. And I was like, "Oof." Okay oh, then. She's, uh, she's still listening. I'm saying hi to her right now. That's all. That's fine. Um, hyperthyroidism definitely comes with insulin resistance. When you have too much, you know, going on, it, it it definitely makes it. I've seen that while we're adjusting Arden's medications. If she gets hyper during the medication adjustment, her needs for insulin go up pretty pretty drastically, pretty immediately. Yeah, oh. my. My second biggest symptom that I deal with with the hypothyroidism is my inability to lose weight. My num- my blood sugars could be perfect. I could be exercising, eating great, and I can't lose weight. I don't gain weight either. Yeah. It's it's just stuck. Stuck. Well, that definitely to me says you're hypo, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I, I you know, you got to I mean, I know it's easy to say like you got to find a doctor that can help you, but there just aren't that many of them that are willing to think outside of and be and and I think you're you're saying something that's incredibly important. It's that uh being flexible around care and being willing to make a a small adjustment look again, make another small adjustment, you know, being willing to do blood tests more frequently to see where the medication's putting you and not mm-hmm. just trying something and waiting six months or whatever. And then, and then going back and going, how do you feel? Like, you know, like I'm also a very impatient person when it comes to my health. I, I make an adjustment and the next day I'm like, okay, is it better? <laughs> but I, I, I have to slow down because you got to see what the change does before you can change something else. Oh, yeah. This medicine is, I, I think, weeks and weeks to be sure. Like you have to you have to choose and go and stick with it and see what happens. You can't you can't three days in go. It's not working. I'm going to take more. That, that definitely right. won't work. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm sorry. It really is. Uh, it's not fun. Do any of your siblings have better luck with it than you are having um so none of my other siblings see an endocrinologist um i'm the only one because of diabetes so theirs is the rest of my family handle their thyroid basically seeing the primary doctor getting the blood test every three months um adjusting the medication as needed and go on their merry way mm. but because i have the um jackpot of both I get to work with a endocrinologist team. Well, are they doing better? Like, are they having better outcomes than you are or no, not necessarily. Well, it's different outcomes because the hypo and the diabetes work against each other. And the other people in my family have, they either just have hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism and something else other than type one diabetes. So Mm. their care is obviously going to look a lot different and they're everyone else's numbers are, are good. Everyone else is great. How about how they feel? Are they, are they able to keep weight (laughs) off and things like that? Or, or is, are they in similar situation with that? Um, I mean, we're, we're basically Vikings. We're tall, broad people, but yeah, my siblings with hypothyroidism don't have as much trouble with weight fluctuation as I do. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and, and, and so they don't need as much adjustment either. It's not, they're not struggling to begin with. It's just working out better for them. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That whole. But they're generally focused on the uh, hemiplegic migraines. So. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a different problem. Uh, they, yes, they do. Yeah, yeah, we all have our issues. 
my gosh. Wow. Your whole bloodline needed to be out in the sun more often, I think, or something like that. You guys needed some vitamin D uh, when you were growing, maybe. Right. Uh, you said, are, is what is your background? Um, like, where, where do your parents, uh, where's the lineage run, I guess? Um, on my dad's side is just uh, European and Cherokee, um, just American. And my mom's side is uh, mostly Irish. Yeah, that Irish it's tough. It's tough on the autoimmune for some reason. I don't know if everyone's noticed that or not. Um, yeah, the real pale people struggle with some stuff for some reason. Uh, and we've talked about stuff on the podcast before, you know, just the idea of like the potato famine being really impactful on Irish people. Yeah. And, and, and I've heard you talk about that. And yeah. I literally like it blew my mind. Well. You don't when trust you me too much that. because, you know, it's just a podcast. But it is definitely something what? I've heard about a couple of times and looked at once or twice. I think uh, it should warrant more, like, in-depth study. Not by me. I don't have that type of qualification. <laughs> Someone besides me should look at it. I just know that there are a fair amount of people who I've met with autoimmune issues, uh, hypothyroid, to be, you know, be specific, who will tell you that they have, you know, a pretty – uh, a pretty strong Irish, you know, or that part of the world uh, background. And right. uh, I don't know is what it is, I guess, but all right, well, let's find some good news in here somewhere. <laughs> How do you find the, the service dog? Is it, is, uh, is it a good oh, experience? Right. Renzo. Um, so senior year of high school, found out about diabetic alert dogs, started researching, kind of ignored the fact that my parents didn't really put a lot of effort into it. I'm pretty stubborn like that. And I spent three years researching, watching YouTube videos, reading articles, getting any piece of information I could get my hands on mm -hmm. about diabetic alert dogs and service dogs. Almost got scammed out of $25,000. Um, but I went to a religious conference where we ran into a family with a service poodle. They gave me some information. And a year and two months later, Renzo came home. Wow. Service poodle is a great pairing of words, in case you're wondering. Uh, but <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about how did you almost get scammed out of money? Because this is a pretty prevalent problem, isn't it, with service dogs? Right. So in, in the United States, dogs, service dogs, it's not a regulated industry. Mm. And there's a lot of misinformation going around. So I will not name the organization, but there was there's a prevalent service dog training organization that was placing dogs before they were actually trained. People were paying twenty five plus thousand dollars to this organization, and what people were getting back was an unruly, untrained puppy. Wow, that so, sucks. And then you got to pay, um, you got to feed it then and everything else. And it's right. costing you money and so, a problem. Ugh, ugh. I got, I contacted the organization uh, thinking they were legitimate and I was approved and they wanted me to start fundraising the $25,000. And as I was starting the fundraising process through the company, uh, they got sued. So uh, miss dodged that bullet, thankfully. And I actually got an even better trained dog for a fraction of the cost from a local company to me. Gotcha. What did you end up paying for the dog, if, if I can ask you, just so people can have an idea of what it really should cost? 
$8,750 for a dog who is public access trained, obedience trained, could detect high and low blood sugars, respond to fainting episodes, and retrieve general items. Wow. Can they bring you like a remote control or is that above and beyond? Will the dog look at you and be like, that's not my job? Or No, dogs aren't robots uh, and training never I, stops. I Service dogs are not a finished product. Oh. And honestly, that's how a lot of program dogs end up failing once they're placed with their family because the family won't keep training and the service dogs aren't a finished product. They don't come out of training and poof, they're perfect for the rest of their lives. That's interesting. How much time in a month do you give to continued uh, education for the dog? So um, Renzo's, each dog is different, but my dog, we do 10 a minute, 10 to 30 minute training sessions a couple times a week. Um, I try to make sure we go out into a public place so we can maintain manners mm-hmm. a few, like at least three times a week. But um, you can, it's just a matter of consistency, honestly. Wow. That's a, that's interesting. I, I hadn't considered that, that there's upkeep, basically maintenance you have to do yes. to, to keep it going. Oh, I've also added on to his training. Um, at this point, we've been together for a year and a half, and two-thirds of what he knows as far as commands uh, and tasks, I taught him. It's like when you buy a Tesla, and then you want it to drive itself, and you give them like another $4,000, and they add it to it. They just upload it to the car. You're just continuing to upload things to the car. Um, yes. That is, it, that's really cool. Like, what are, Do you have goals for the dog, that, for Enzo, that he, that he hasn't reached yet that you're working towards? Yes. So recently, just when we went into quarantine a few months ago, uh, I registered Renzo with the American Kennel Club because he is a purebred standard poodle. And he just passed and received his novice trick dog title. There's five levels of trick dog titles. I hope that we can get all of them. I also want to get his canine good citizen certification through the AKC. Um, I have big plans for my dog. Wow. Can he then... um sire other dogs that would be good service dogs or is there no correlation oh i got you you don't want him wandering off looking for a girl well well you know uh, oh wait no wait i'm joking but is that a real thing like do is is a service dog always spayed or neutered or no no it's up to the owner except i went through a program and the program requires all of their dogs to be fixed before placement so he was neutered long before he was even matched with me i got you okay well that's interesting well then he's definitely not going to do that um or 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 he'd be amazing if he did (laughs) no he's not up to standard so he wouldn't be a sire anyway (laughs) oh really like is there i'm using this word with quotes but are there imperfections about him that would stop that from happening Yes, so he's only 26 inches at the shoulder, which is within standard, the AKC standard for the breed, but he only weighs about 50 pounds. He's a very lanky boy. Mm -hmm. Um, He's also a party poodle, which means he's black and white, and the AKC doesn't actually recognize the multicolored poodles. So that's actually why he got donated to the service dog program, because he he came from a show line, and he can't be a show dog, so he became a service dog. No kidding. That's super interesting. You just used a lot of terms that I've never heard before. Lanky boy and party poodle. Party poodle, strong contender for the name of this episode, in, in case you're wondering. Uh, but uh, um, I'm afraid to Google either of those terms because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not Lanky 100%. Lanky boy is my term for Okay. <laughs> okay. But party poodle is not, right? Party, P-A-R-T-I, T-I. refers to the coloring of his coat. Um 
You you can have solid coated poodles, party poodles, phantom poodles. I don't even know all of them. All right, well, you can safely Google the, just with the eye. I would keep the Y off of it just in case. I'm not sure where the internet will take you then. Uh, actually, it just yeah. <laughs> redirects you back to P-A-R-T-I. Well, no, that's really cool. Like, there's so much about this that obviously I don't know about. Uh, and, and it's a lot to consider. Um, how much time do you give to, to Enzo? I mean, at what point, if I can ask a thoughtful question here, at what point is Enzo a family member? And at what point is he a tool or do you not consider him a tool? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a, I'm trying to understand how that feels. Yes. And I will, I'm so glad to answer this question because it's a question I get a lot. Um, So Renzo is a dog. He still has the basic needs of a dog. He needs stimulus. He needs exercise. He needs affection. Hmm. When the vest is on and we're in public, he's working, which means he's ignoring his surroundings. He's ignoring other people and he's focusing just on me. Yeah. When we're at home and the vest is off, you know, he will roam around the house. He will play with dog toys. He'll play with the other dogs. He'll cuddle with everyone in the family. He'll harass my pet rabbit. But if he smells uh, my blood sugar doing weird things he will find me in the house and still alert so he'll still do his job whether he's quote on duty or at home right he like the whole reason i have him is that he's a tool in my diabetes management toolbox so i mean this really seriously like so the the vest that he wears is that an indicator to him that he's i mean on duty for or or well he'll he'll just do it no matter what like he doesn't have to go find the vest if he smells your blood sugar low but no right, no right. no gotcha. so he can I can literally command like give him a word and he's like oh we're working now um but it, when I put the vest on and I'm like do you want to like let's gear up that's the word I use uh he knows that we're going to be in public that's really his key to be behaved because a service dog in public needs to be out of the way and unnoticed. Gotcha. Okay. I understand. I By the way, there's a great um, movie in this where the dogs can talk to each other and like, you know, they're on the job and they take it really seriously. Almost like, uh, what am I thinking of? Secret Service agents, except for service dogs. There's a, there's a kid's movie in there. Someone can write it. I'm just telling you, I think it would be amazing if talking dogs came home from work at the end of the day and were taking off the rest and like, like talking about their long days and everything like that, I would be very That's amused. That's really cute. Thank you. I, I could, like that I idea. Could, yeah, I just, uh, I as you said, like wearing the vest. I saw the vest as the uniform, and uh, anyway, I don't have time for that one. So anybody can feel free to pick up and run with that. I'll take a writing credit at the end. It's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, that that's really interesting. It made your life better. Oh yeah, my uh, my A one C dropped in the first few months after having Renzo his alerts are on point he alerts at 80 and below 190 and above and if it's quickly rising or falling his <laughs> he's his nose is rarely ever wrong and sometimes he catches it before my libre or my meter like he'll alert and it looks like he's like wrong but yeah. actually 15 minutes later I'm either spiking or crashing did you give so samples I, during his training or did they, can they use yes. anyone's samples so uh, I had to mail saliva samples of in range, high and low to the trainer to use. But what's ironic is that Renzo's trainer was hypoglycemic and Renzo's nose is so sensitive that he has alerted like half a dozen other people other than me. 
Oh no, kidding! Like somebody can just walk by with some low blood sugar, and they'll be like, and, and Renzo's like, "Yo, what's up? You, you're low." And how does he tell yeah. you you're low? I mean, sign language so or what's he do? He will paw me if it's an emergency, like rising or falling quickly. He will jump up on me, and if I'm having brain fog and I'm just not getting it, he will bark at me. If I, by the way, I feel like you just explained how married guys ask for sex. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> go through it again he'll paw you if it's an right go say it yeah. again regular alerts is a paw right so he'll put his paw up on my leg i hear it if it's an emergency he'll jump up on me uh-huh and what was the last and if one i'm not getting it he barks at me I'm telling you right now you just described that okay. <laughs> oh my so goodness funny. well yeah trust me it's not that funny if you've been married for a while um <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. We, we know each other. Um, yes. And, and it was really great to meet you the time I did. Uh, tell people where we met. Uh, we were we met at the Kansas City JDRF Type 1 Nation Summit. Mm, we did. and Where and you were exhausted. <laughs> I was. And how good was I? Tell the people. Oh, you were fantastic. It made me feel special because you knew exactly who I was when I walked up. Of course, the poodle was a dead giveaway. Well... Yeah, the, the, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you for sure for sure that the, the poodle did give it away. But I appreciate you saying how fantastic I was without being prompted. Uh, I want to say about Kansas City, I had never been before, and I uh, got in the day before and went and got some lunch, and had these chicken wings that really made me happy. I, I just <laughs> never had chicken wings to make me that happy before, and I went and did the whole the whole thing the next day. I actually have to thank people right here uh, because later that night, you know, the people who brought me out from the JDRF chapter there in Kansas City were just like, you know, let us take you to dinner. And I, I get a little like, I'm like, I'm just going to go home. Like, let me just sleep and get back on the plane and get out of here, you know. Um, but I said, no, no, that'd be great. Let me go. So they took me to this place. And as we're approaching it in the car, I think I'm going to get off like the, I'm getting shot like this is it. This is this is a hit because we're like in some industrial park and uh, the window was down a little bit and it smelled a little like cow manure. And I was like, what is happening right now? There was a rail yard going by and I'm like, where are we? Like, this is definitely like they're going to they're going to pop me. This is what's going on here. I don't know what I did wrong, but I've, I've upset the Kansas City Mafia, obviously. And this is what's happening. <laughs> so we pull up and I say to the person driving me, I'm like, I got to ask you, like, where the hell are we? Like, you smell the cow manure, right? Like, this is the restaurant? That's not the restaurant I'm smelling, is it? And she's like, no, no, no. And she points to this building. She said, there's a rail yard nearby, and these shipments come in sometimes, so it smells like this once in a while. And I'm like, okay. And you got to, like, understand, I'd never been there before, so I'm just like, whatever. She points to this building that really is just a nondescript square, you know, building. And she's like, this is the restaurant. And then I went in and had maybe the best barbecue I'd ever had in my entire life. Yep, that's Kansas City in a nutshell. Is that what I just – and it was so good that I came home and when the coronavirus thing started, I spent time learning about how to make barbecue because I realized uh, – That Kansas City barbecue is the best. Well, I don't know if I realized that. What I realized was that my entire life I didn't like ribs. And then I had uh-huh. ribs in Kansas City and realized that nobody had ever prepared them correctly for me. Yep. And now I know how to make them myself, and I love ribs. Ribs are good. That's fantastic. Yeah. So had I not come, uh, I would never have had that experience. You would have been missing out. I seriously would have been. I'm not joking with you. I uh, I made some great ribs the other day. So 
<laughs> I got to tell you, though, something very funny happened at that event where we met. Uh, during the break between your, the the other woman who spoke and your bit, uh, I went Did other people speak while I was there? I didn't realize that. No, I'm just uh, kidding. The JDRF lady. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. I only hear myself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, I didn't know there were other people there, but go ahead. But I, I went to uh, ask a question at the JDRF table, and I was they had to go find somebody to get my question answered. Mm-hmm. And so I was standing there with Renzo by the JDRF table, and a line formed. And uh, this couple came up and started asking me about Renzo and diabetic alert dogs. And I was happy to answer all their questions. It's something I'm very passionate about. Um, and then they were like, thank you. And they went away and another person came up, a line formed. People thought I was a rep there to talk about diabetic alert dogs. <laughs> it's a weird feeling, isn't it? When it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. I, um, I hear you. It, 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 it seems like from the outside, it would just be like, oh, it's nice. So many people, but it's, it's hard to like wrap your head around when it happens. Um, I, I, I had trouble getting through the that area you're discussing to go back and be private somewhere and just eat something for a second because I would take a step mm-hmm. and, and it was really, trust me, please. It was very nice and uh, not necessary, but people wanted to say thank you or they wanted to take a picture or something like that. And I would chat with them for a little while and then I would turn and think, now I'm going to go get my lunch and take one more step and somebody would go, hey, and I was like, okay, I'm never getting out of this spot right here, am I? So I just kind of put my back to the wall and like, just was like, all right, everybody, let's, let's go. Come on over. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll do it yeah. at the same time. It is, it's very, it's very nice. It's just overwhelming if it's never happened to you before. And I, it's like grocery that shopping with a service dog. Everybody has a question. Yes. Is that the biggest issue with a service dog is keeping people from touching? Um... In public, I guess. I I can't say for certain what the biggest problem is. However, it is very common. Like, I would say that people with service dogs don't go to the grocery store on the weekend because they want to avoid people. Because mm. you take a few steps and then, then it's, oh, cute doggy. Oh, may I pet? Oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, are you a trainer? Oh, how do I sign up for one? Like, it's not so much the touching as the overwhelming intrusion. I'm just trying to shop for peanut butter. (laughs) Like, and I'm really passionate about the topic. I could talk about it for hours, but if I'm having a bad blood sugar day and I am just out of it and I just want to get through the grocery store and a dozen people stop me to ask to pet my dog or ask me questions, I don't want to be rude, but but you can't spend it. You can't spend an hour and a half at the grocery store either. So no, I, I, it makes sense to me because Everyone is just having their own personal response. They don't recognize that someone just asked you five seconds before and that when they walk away, someone else is going to do it. I remind myself of that every day. Each person who asks me to pet my poodle, who I think is a unicorn sometimes um, because of people's reactions, they don't realize that they're the 30th person asking that day. They just see a cute dog and they want to pet it. Pet my poodle should be a t-shirt in case you're wondering. I think it just it's amusing, and I like the idea of those words all together. <laughs> uh, well, no, I hear you, and it's it you know it, it really does make sense on both sides. You you don't you don't have that time, and they don't have that knowledge, and it's a bad mix, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're just trying to avoid. Listen, I think we all try to avoid going to the grocery store when it's too uh, busy. 
um, you know, for certain. Okay, let's see. How about your outcomes? Um, have your outcomes with your A1Cs and variability and stuff like that improved with a service dog? Yes, my variability has uh, really improved. My A1C is still like, I have an 8.6 and the the insulin resistance and the, the hypothyroid situation I think are contributing to that. However, I didn't even know what variability was until I heard it on the podcast. And so I've been really focusing on that and Renzo really helps with it. In fact, the original trainer taught him to alert above 200 and below 70. And I actually retrained him to do 190 and 80 because I, I wanted to know if it was going up before it got to the 200s. My range is 80 to 135. That's where I want to be. But if my dog alerted to my specific range, he'd be alerting all the, he'd be alert, alerting a lot more than I would need him to, because really he's there to prevent emergencies. Mm -hmm. What do you think is holding you back from having the A1C that you're looking for? Um, well, I like the short answer would be insulin resistance. The long answer is, uh, I was, I've been switching back and forth between the pump and pens to figure out what I like better. And I really think I like the pens and, you know, going back and forth, isn't the greatest thing to do for your body. <laughs> Don't follow my example. Um, but I finally, because I was listening to your podcast and I was translating everything you were saying to the pens. Once I went back on the pump, I felt like I was relearning it all over again. Okay. You, well, like I went back through the pro tips and everything and I just personally feel more comfortable on pens. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that for certain. I just was wondering if, because you, I mean, you're paying a lot of attention and, and you're, you know, you know, when you're high and when you're low from different technologies and from, and from Renzo. And I just wondered, and you think it's the insulin resistance, and that might stem back to the to the thyroid. thyroid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Which I just is think why it, I want it to be under control so badly. Yeah, I don't think enough people appreciate the impact of the thyroid when it's not working correctly. Um, I did it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I I was diagnosed when I was a teenager. What did I know? I thought I just took the pill and everything was hunky dory. It's not. Yeah, it's it's uh, it can work well for people or not, and when it doesn't work well, it's it's not normally an easy fix. And like you said, it's a slow, it's slow going to make adjustments. And, and it has to build up in your system because it has a half life. Yeah. And you don't always guess right the first time. So you could, you know, make an adjustment, wait a month, you know, do another blood test and find out, oh, well, it didn't do it, you know, and, and, you know, I still don't feel any differently. And then you have to adjust back the other way. It's a, it's a long game and you have to see the value in it. Or I think, it's possible that you just lose sight of wanting to play that game. And you, you really, mm -hmm. if you have a thyroid issue and you're having any of the thyroid symptoms, your medication's not right. And it and would be, mine isn't. yeah. And it would be incredibly beneficial if you put some, put, put the effort that was needed into getting it fixed. And part of that effort might end up being finding a doctor who isn't so cookie cutter when it comes to thyroid. Right. I will say I, I, I liked my, my nurse practitioner. She did a lot for me. She filled out the paperwork for my dog. She got me on Libre. She got me on Omnipod the first time around. Um, 
but we disagreed on some big things like dawn phenomenon. I told her we need to address this. We need to address the high blood sugars in the morning because I can't function at my job with the high blood sugars in the morning. And yet she said, oh, it's fine if you're high in the morning, just take a correction. I'm more worried about the 5% of lows you're having. And so we really butt heads on that. Yeah. And so even though I, I liked her, I'm not incredibly sorry to see her go. I'm excited to work with someone new. Clean slate. That was the longest I've ever had one uh, doctor for anything. I had her for four years. Yeah. And, and you're and you're butting heads on a, on a pretty big issue because. Yeah. Because there's a way to not wake up high and not have a bunch of lows. It, it's, yeah. it's not a. Not a zero-sum game. You don't have to pick between them, you, you know? That's what I was saying. I was right. like, can we address both? But the only way she wanted to address the highs was with a correction. And I think that's where the disconnect between endocrinologists who live with type 1 and endocrinologists who don't is because she doesn't understand what it does to us. Like, you can tell, I'm sure, with Arden, if she wakes up in range, she's awesome. And if she wakes up high, she's probably a little more snarky and sluggish. It's a big difference in how you feel. It is. Yeah, yeah. And it, in some ways, it determines how our mornings go, how we treat people, how we perform at our jobs or in school. And it's a big deal. It could be. It could also impact the decision you make about food first thing in the morning, by the way, and then oh, yeah. lead you down a bad road. Like if you're... If you're feeling like oh none of this matters and you you know you don't you don't have the energy to cook the meal that you normally would so you grab something that's easier and your blood sugar goes up and it just you know snowballs from there and you can't get that day back yeah no I know I I'm I'm sorry for you I'm glad you're switching but um, well I hope I can find some better answers and share them on the podcast through this journey with Arden Um, hopefully it'll come together. Uh, sooner than later, I actually have asked the doctor if, uh, when this is done, if she would come on the show and I'm hoping she will, because she's just thinks about it in a different way, which I, I find to be really helpful. That would be really interesting. Yeah, I hope so. I hope I can work that out actually. Um, you think Arden's getting older. Do you think Arden will ever be on the show? Yeah. Sometimes I think she will be. And sometimes I think she won't be. <laughs> like a teenager to me so no <laughs> I, I ask her once in a while and once in a while she acts like she might and then sometimes she says she won't and i figure it'll happen or it won't happen at some point there's definitely things i'd love to talk to her about on the podcast and so i hope she comes on just for her i mean you guys might find it interesting but i would i want to do it you know for her um well i think i mean i respect arden's choice uh but gr- being someone who grew up as a type one diabetic child, adolescent, teenager, not having the support network or community that I have now through the internet. Like I didn't know anyone like me. I didn't know there were blogs out there or podcasts out there. Yeah. And being able to connect with people who were going through the same thing, I think would have changed a lot of how I went through my teenage years with type one diabetes. I agree with you. You spend some time on um, Instagram, right? S- sharing some stuff about your life. Tell people uh, what your Instagram handle is. Oh, yeah. On Instagram, I am chronically underscore annoyed. On TikTok, I am chronically annoyed. And on YouTube, I am chronically annoyed SD team. Nice. Although I read this morning that this TikTok is bad. And so really? I uh, I will find you the, the article. It says, uh, 
It's on boardpanda.com and it says, I am a nerd who figured out how who figures out how apps work for a living. I've reversed engineered TikTok. It's scary. Stay away from it. Really? So I was like, that's interesting. So anyway, I'll share that in a place where you can find it too. Um, I thought that was really something because it is incredibly popular. Uh, but no, I to your, to your point about, you know, being there online so somebody else can see it. I mean, obviously I'm a big believer in that or the podcast wouldn't exist. So. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I got on Instagram, I don't know, in 2018 to, to find the type one diabetes community and, and to build a support system. Never did I think I would have thousands of followers looking to me for advice on any social media platform. And I don't give advice. I just share my experiences uh, and maybe some dumb jokes along the way. But the community that exists online is amazing. And I first got into it uh, by downloading Beyond Type 1. Mm -hmm. That was that was my first introduction to an online type 1 diabetes community. And it was amazing. I agree. Um, and they had, what did they have, like a like almost like a message board, I guess? Mm-hmm. Was that how you would describe it? It's similar to Twitter, I guess. It is a message board where you can follow different topics um, yeah. and make posts. But it's all for type 1 diabetics or friends and family of type 1 diabetics. Nice. Is that still running? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's it goes cool. through multiple. It's had multiple updates. Uh, I still have it. I'm not very active on it, but I've met some really cool people through Beyond Type One. Cool. I even got to meet up with another Type One diabetic I met on the app in Denver a few years ago, and we went to an amusement park together, where we ran into another Type One diabetic. So that was fun. Mm. Mm. Um. What do you get out of like on your side of it from meeting those people? Like you said, you didn't know anybody like you. What happens when you do all of a sudden know somebody like you? Well, it, I wouldn't say it backfired, but it, it didn't turn out the way I thought it would because I went through the diabetes journey a a lot differently than other people. I found that I had a lot of insight that others were lacking. So instead of gaining encouragement, I ended up giving it because I had, I've been doing this for so long on my own mm-hmm. that I found that I had a lot of stuff to give, but I still gain I still gain information. Um, I gain friends and, uh, I just think it's very wholesome the way we can share experiences and information. I, I I agree with you. I really do. I think it's a, it's a wonderful platform, especially for people who are distanced and don't have connection and who really does. I mean, honestly, a lot of people have type one diabetes, but you know, still there's not that many to where you're always going to know three and four people with it. Um, and where right. else are you going to well, find them? You know? And you know, as a kid, I, by the time I was 10 years old, I had spent half of my life in Europe. So I really didn't know a lot of people like me. There, there weren't, there were no, uh, JDRF events to go to, or, you know, diabetes camps to be, to, to go to. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just me and mom. What, what other places have you lived? Oh, this is a fun one. Let's see. I was born in Texas. 
Um, and then we moved to Arkansas where I was diagnosed. And then we went to North Yorkshire and uh, we lived in Menwith Hill, England. Um, and then we moved to Alabama. Uh, then we went to Kaiserslautern, Germany. Uh, back to Arkansas for another deployment back to Alabama, then off to Colorado. Then we were in Virginia for a while. And now I have been living in Missouri for the past five years, I think. I'm just impressed that you said them all in order, which I'm assuming they were in order. But do you speak any other languages like German or British? I speak sarcasm. (laughs) Me too. That's the only one I have. I speak type 1 diabetes and service dog handler. <laughs> uh, no. Out of, out of my, my family, some a lot of people in my family speak languages. A lot of people in my family play instruments, are very musical. I'm a visual arts person. I actually hold an associate's degree in visual arts and an associate's degree in business. Um, but I'm taking a break from college right now. And I'm a teacher. Cool. What are you teaching? I teach public speaking, digital literacy, and this coming year, I will also be teaching art and running the library. Wow, no kidding. Good for you. That's excellent. And and Renzo comes to work with you, obviously. Yes. Renzo loves coming to work with me because he loves children. Um, Well, and you tell him to come. (laughs) Honestly, both, both my dog and my students respect each other and... It's hard for them to have self-control sometimes, but they respect the fact that he's there for a reason, and the reason is not for them to love on him. How old are the kids you normally teach? Uh, Third through eighth grade. Oh, wait, this year I'm also going to be teaching high school. Wow. Uh, That's really cool. Good for you. That's excellent. Thank you. I I think just the government must have put you guys in in country and left you here just to stop having to cart all of you around the the globe. It was probably getting expensive. (laughs) Uh, my father retired in 2015 but yeah it um yeah there's a lot of us no kidding how long was he in in total do you know oh i okay but here's the thing he was in the army first and then he got out of the army and then he was national guard and then he got into the air force so i have no idea wow no that was all before i was born it's a lot of serving yeah. No kidding. That's uh that's interesting. Did you prefer living overseas to here or vice versa? Do you have any I it would well here's the thing. I, I lived overseas when I was a child. The okay. last time I was out of country I was thirteen. I would have a much different perspective now as a young adult than I did as a child. But as a kid it was pretty stinking cool. Yeah, I would imagine. Um I hear I got you. to go a lot of places. I I've been to Italy, I've been to Austria, Ireland france lots lots of places that's really cool that is really it's a it's a it's a rich experience just to have as a little kid you know yes no kidding well listen i we've done this for an hour i really appreciate you being on and and is there anything we didn't get to that you wanted to i don't want to skip anything we talked a lot about hypothyroidism ironically and uh renzo did i answer all your questions about diabetic alert dogs I feel, or renzo specifically yeah no i feel good about it i think you know if i'm speaking from an, an outsider's perspective i believe that a diabetic alert dog for somebody who wants one is amazing and i can also see how another person might see it as another responsibility that they don't have time for like i can i can yeah. see both both perspectives you, you know pretty evenly but I think people. the biggest problem, excuse me, is that I don't want to see people spend a lot of money for something that 
didn't need to cost help. that much money and won't help them, you know, because right. it, it's a, it ends up being a shakedown. Is there any central location that they can go to make sure they're not being taken advantage of? Or is it, is it location to location? Um, it's, it's knowing the red flags to look for when looking for a program. And that is something you learn through experience and research. Unfortunately, I talk a lot about it on Instagram and TikTok. Um, but to what you said, it's so true. Any diabetic could make use of a dog, but not everybody, not every diabetic needs one. I honestly didn't need one until I started experiencing hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia unawareness. That's the whole reason I got the dog. Mm -hmm. Having a dog with you 24 seven is a lifestyle shift that not everybody can handle. Right. No, I can't. I can imagine that being true. Hey, what are some of the red flags that, that would tell me this might not be a, a great organization? If they won't answer certain questions like um, training methodology, how old are the dogs when they get placed? How long does it take the dogs to be fully trained? Are they public access ready when they're placed or do they just know the alerts? Um, how closely do they work with their clients or do they not give you updates? Stuff like that. Do they want you to pay the whole amount up front before they start training your dog or will they take a down payment and start working with your dog immediately? Uh, those are, those are the questions to ask. Those are the big red flags to look out for. Is it just true that nowhere should it cost $25,000? Unfortunately, if you go to a nonprofit organization, you're going to spend anywhere between 15 to 50,000. Um, it's in, they're in high demand, low supply. It takes up to two years to fully train a service dog. Um, a lot of people have waiting lists. I went through a program called canine specialty training, LLC. Mm -hmm. It's located in independence, Missouri. It is not nonprofit. Therefore, it's first come first serve. And that's how I got my dog so quickly. Um, so it's really, it's really worth it to try and look for small local training companies or organizations rather than going to a big nonprofit organization. Well, let me just put this out there. I'm not a doctor and I have no training at all, but for $50,000, I will come live at your house teach your kid how to keep their blood sugar right, or you as an adult, I'll stay with you for, I mean, 50 grand, let's be fair, two months, and we'll make sure you're okay before I go. Uh, and uh, that's it, 50 grand. That's it. I'll definitely live in your house for $50,000. If I if I ever buy a $50,000 dog, um, I imagine that I will need some sort of like mental health help because I I'm so cheap. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> that just that that fried my mind when you like when you started at 15,000 I was like, "Oh my god, $15,000." Yeah, my, my dog was considered cheap. No kidding. And I actually didn't have to pay for all of them because I got a grant that is specifically for type 1 diabetics to get a service dog through Cosmopolitan International. Everyone can find it on their website. No kidding. It is application based though. Cosmopolitan International. Okay. I, I And I just want to go over one more time. Again, for $50,000, there's very few things I won't do in case you're wondering. Like, you need me to come <laughs> paint your house or, I don't know, you know, change the oil in your car. Just name it. Honestly, I'm happy to come over. Just let me know. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would fall in line with that idea as well. That's an amazing amount of money. And I'm glad you're, you, you shared some of those things to stop people from spending it if they don't need to. 
Um, well, I spent years doing research and trial and error, so I'm happy to be a shortcut for people and share what I've experienced. Yeah, yeah. Listen, go find her on Instagram if you need. Uh, the, not don't go on TikTok. Apparently, that's the place where uh, I don't know they're stealing all your something or other. I'm not 100 percent sure, uh, but the article was very interesting. Um, yeah, cool. Listen, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. I was looking forward to it for like eight months. <laughs> I, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry about that part. Did you did you do you have a good time? How'd we do? Oh, I had a fantastic time. Cool. I could, probably could never get bored of talking to you. I love your sense of humor and I love the information you put out there for people. I really appreciate that. Thank your people for introducing me to Good Barbecue. I really do uh think that was oh, I will. It, it really changed my life, honestly. Like I I smoked a pork butt the other day. That is, they're not words I thought I'd ever say out loud. Had I not gone to Kansas City to speak at that event, I never would have had that thought in my life. So, well, I hope to see you come back. I would love that. I had a great time, by the way. Interesting little city. Like, it's, um, if you come in from the East Coast and you've been in a big city before, it's a very, it feels like a tiny place, but it's this, oh. neat, it's this neat feeling. Yeah. Though. Like, you know, like, I moved here from Yorktown, Virginia. It was complete culture shock. Yeah, but it's it was a lovely like a little uh, a great place to walk around and enjoy while I, while I had that free time in the first day and um, I liked it a lot. I really did. I thought it was totally, and the airport was <laughs> I I've never stood in a in a security line so short in my entire life at an airport. It airport? Was, did you come in on a little? T- it was like a little roundy. It's like a semicircle. Am I making sense when I say that? MCI Kansas City International. Oh my God! I got right so. I ask people, you know, what time do I need to get back in the morning to the airport to fly out of here? I don't want to be late, you know. And and flying out of here, I'd want to get to the airport somewhere about ninety minutes to two hours ahead of time. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm asking what time to leave, and my flight's I think a nine a.m. flight. And someone says, "Well, we'll uh, we could pick you up at the at the hotel at eight fifteen. And I was like, "Wait, no, like, don't don't do that. Like, are you sure?" And they were so sure, and I didn't want to argue with anybody. So I argued a little bit, and I got picked up at uh, at like seven forty five, <laughs> and at eight o'clock I was at the airport, and at eight oh nine I was through security and sitting at the gate, and I thought, oh my, yep. God. <laughs> it was amazing. And they're actually redoing the airport. I saw that. So while I don't I was know there. how they can make that process faster. I don't imagine they can. It was it was magical, honestly. Um, anyway, maybe one day we'll all fly again, and and I'll come back. So. All right, I am going to uh I'm going to go get some things done here and I appreciate your time very much. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Huge thanks to Esther for coming on and telling us about her life with type 1 diabetes and her experiences with her diabetes alert service dog. Thanks too to Touched by Type 1, Omnipod, and Dexcom for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box podcast. When you support the sponsors, you are supporting the show and helping to keep it free and plentiful. Check out Dexcom at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Omnipod, of course, is at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Get yourself that free no obligation demo and touched by type1.org and Instagram and Facebook. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure Dexcom and Omnipod are on Instagram and Facebook too, but I just never seem to say that. I'll see you soon for the next episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing the show with others, and for leaving your beautiful ratings and reviews wherever you listen. Subscribe in a podcast player, please. Like if you're listening online, 
really consider a podcast app. They're free and they're easy. And thank you. Oh, that was an awkward stilted end to this conversation. Mm, not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to leave it there. This would be an example of a smooth ending. If you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you soon. See how much better that was? It didn't get all choppy and weird. Anyway, that's that, and I'm out of here.